Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vito Sobrao. Identification with the sports team is a key reason why we watch and follow them. I certainly can't think of any other reason why I put myself through watching the disaster that is my team, Vittorio Stubble. If you don't know the how, you can look them up. But identification within a group has received less attention in sport management research, and so that's the topic for this episode. And joining us to discuss this is someone who's published several articles on sport fandom and consumption. He's assistant professor in sport management at Merrimack College. It's Ben Larkin. Welcome, Ben. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. Ben and co-authors Janet Fink and Elizabeth Delia recently published Identified But Not Identical, exploring the influence of collective narcissism and team identification. Now, Ben, I'd like to get to collective narcissism soon, but uh, identification is so important to, in, in sport team research and, and sport management. It's been researched thoroughly, obviously, but how did this paper help our understanding of the area? Well, I think from a big picture perspective, it kind of shows us that a lot of identification research has kind of treated it as an all-encompassing entity. So you've got highly identified fans, and they're distinct from those who are low on identification, right? And, and so oftentimes you'll see, especially quantitative research, look at it where they're, they have this group of highly identified fans and those low on identification, and they're looking at the differences. And kind of lost in that is you're treating all highly identified fans as if it's predicting this, this certain set of behaviors or attitudes or whatever it is. I think what this shows is that you can take a group of highly identified fans and there are a lot of differences even within that group. In this case, some are narcissistic, others are not are not narcissistic with regard to the with regard to the team. And so I think that's kind of, in my opinion, the big picture contribution overarching with this research is is uh, you know differences within the group and kind of highlighting that, bringing it to light. Where did you get the uh, idea to go with this and and look at this perspective, and why was that important? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was, uh, so when I was a doc student at UMass, I was, uh, I had a term paper assignment for a class at UMass. We had three different sport, you know, research seminars that we had to do. This particular class was a OB seminar, so org behavior. And um, the assignment was basically, we had to conceptualize a research study. Uh, The only requirement was in this case, it could be within our area, but we had to use a construct from, from the organizational behavior literature. And so I was just kind of fishing around on Google Scholar trying to come up with an idea. And, and all of a sudden I came across this collective narcissism thing. And I was like, wow, like I, I've never heard of this before, right? But like, to me, it describes so many sport fans that I know to a T, but yet I had never seen it like in the, in the sport literature. And so when I saw it, I was like, wow, like this is, this is great. So, so I came up with an idea for that class with the term paper and I wove collective narcissism into it you know, it ended up being kind of a, you know, a trash study. It was just something that, you know, you, a lot of times with those, you come up with something just to get through the class and it's, it's not really anything you pursue, but, but I had the kind of the idea tucked away. And so when it came time for a dissertation, I was like, wow, this is something that I should, I should pursue. Like there's a lot of meat on the bone here. Right. And so uh, in with a dissertation and there needs to be, because, you know, it's, it's a big, big project. So when it came time for the dissertation, I was trying to come up with ideas and I kicked around a few things, but I ultimately just kept coming back to this. And, and this was what I did my dissertation on. Like you said, collective narcissism was the framework you used here. And now, before I start thinking that I might be one myself, can you just tell us <laughs> what this refers to and, and how it was useful when you were looking at that within group identification? 
Yeah. So, I mean, starting with, with, you know, in-group identification is kind of the, the starting point, right? So this refers to just an individual's psychological attachment to a team and, and it, it kind of becomes ingrained in their self-concept. You know, they're one with the team, so to speak. You, we've, we've kind of known for a while, I guess, that kind of at the core of, of in-group identification is self-esteem. You're identifying with a group and it's it, it, it boosts your self-esteem, right? So kind of what collective narcissism is, is in-group identification that's fueled by this kind of insecure self-esteem. And that's kind of at the heart of narcissism, even at the individual level, is this insecure self-esteem, right? And so here you've got kind of that aspect, but parlayed in relation to a group. So you're kind of, you've got fans who are kind of putting the team on the pedestal and kind of using the team to, to fuel that insecure self-esteem. So that's kind of, I, I guess, the way I would, I would define it. It makes sense, and uh, I won't reveal if I'm one or not, um, based on that. No, um, I wonder if I was one at times as well. <laughs> I think, maybe, I think see, we can all relate to that on some level, right? I think that's absolutely right. And so to do this research, you, you conducted uh, semi-structured interviews with high-identity fans. How did you go about selecting who was high-identity and, and recruit them for these interviews? Yeah, so I mentioned that it was this was a this was a topic that this was my doctoral dissertation, right? So there was there was um, there was really three different studies that kind of made up the dissertation, and the first one was quantitative. So we collected all this data that you know, and so we had their their levels, and so there was a collective narcissism scale, then there was the fan identification scale that we use, and so we had their levels. And I also asked you know these participants who who completed the survey to to provide an email address if they were comfortable with it. And that was specifically so that we could contact them for these interviews in the aftermath of it. So I had all the fans like kind of, you know, aggregate levels of, of collective narcissism and fan identification. And if they provide an email address, I, I had them on a list and I kind of just started at the top. So I, I'd take fans with like the highest levels of collective narcissism. So it's a seven point scale. They're averaging a seven. And I started at the top, started emailing people and, and, and just people who are willing to, to participate scheduled interviews and I just kind of worked my way down until you know I, I think I did 15 interviews with collective narcissists and at, by that point I wasn't really getting anything new it, it tended to be them re rehashing the same kind of stuff and then I did highly identified fans so I started with people who were you know really high on on, on fan identification you know your sevens on average but were also really low in, in collective narcissism so you know your ones and twos you know and worked my way up on there. And, and again, I think I did about 15. And as I did it, you know, started to, to really be able to recognize some key differences between the two. That is a really interesting way to approach it. I think it, obviously you got your, your sample there uh, really well. We're actually doing a podcast where someone said, I spoke to a whole bunch of collective narcissists. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's it, really cool. It was fun. You know, a lot, of, a lot of the research I do is quantitative. So it's like, you know, anonymous surveys. So you have your, your aggregate data or whatever, and you, you can see the relationships and that's kind of fun in its own right, but actually getting on the phone and talking to these people and hearing their stories. It was, it was, for me, it was a treat because like, I don't do a lot of this, you know, a lot of the qualitative research. So it was, it was pretty cool. And that goes on to the, to the next question I have. And like you say, you haven't done a lot of qualitative research. How'd you go about analyzing this data being, you know, not experienced or as experienced in, in the qualitative side? I was fortunate to have like a, a qualitative guru on my team, uh, Liz Delia, you know, she, she's, she's published a ton of qualitative work and she's really great at it. 
and being my dissertation. So I had a committee. So that was, that was helpful in that right. So I had some background, like, of course, I took some qualitative research methods classes at UMass. And, you know, I, I, I had some concept of it. I had I had done some qualitative research and failed at it before. So it was, you know, I had that kind of learning experience to go on. So by the time I got to the dissertation, I, I felt like I was, I was kind of ready. As far as analyzing the data, you know, kind of your basic thematic analysis, I, you know, I looked through the transcripts and I did this as I went too. So like I, from the very first uh, interview I did with the collective narcissists, you know, I, I would read through the transcripts ap- after and, and start coding it. Right. And so uh, this also allowed me to use kind of an ongoing coding process. So like if, if in the first or second uh, narcissist interview, they brought up something that wasn't necessarily part of my interview guide, but I thought was interesting and worth pursuing, I'd ask the, the next interviewees about it too. And and so that some of the themes kind of emerged from that. So yeah, I, I did that and, you know, just kind of started to recognize some themes. I also gave the transcripts to Liz, you know, and, and she looked at them independently uh, and then we compared notes and kind of reached a consensus. We kind of came together and we'd each looked at them independently. And you know, we had a lot of similarities with our codes and our themes. And, and we kind of just came to a consensus by comparing notes. And, and uh, that's kind of how it went. It does sound like the typical iterative process of failure, doesn't it? For, for qualitative yeah. research where you just keep adjusting <laughs> and, and then you get there. 100%, yeah. So from the, uh, the analysis, uh, from that, that hard work you did going through what, what is a substantial amount of data, what were the key findings from this? So I mentioned kind of thinking about a big picture, you know, you, you, this kind of shows that even amongst a group of highly identified fans and all of the fans that we talked to were highly identified. It's just that some were high on collective narcissism and some were not. And so that shows the, the from big picture perspective, there's, there's these key differences even within a group of, of highly identified fans key differences that we found are that highly identified fan, uh, excuse me, collectively narcissistic fans, they had this pervasive need to kind of view the team as, as unique, kind of this unique entity compared to, to any other in the league. And so another one was, you know, they had this underdog mentality, right? So um, they perceived the team as an underdog and, and, and as if they went in this like incredible, you know, underdog journey to get where they were even when it probably wasn't really appropriate, even when it was, you know, a big market team with, with all the advantages in the world. They per- perceived this, this idea that the team was constantly under scrutiny from external parties, be it fans of other teams, the media, whatever it might be, right? They just perceived this, this, this sense of scrutiny with the team. And it was, you know, it was like they were, you know, there was a witch hunt and their team was, was, was the kind of the, you know, just kind of gone after in that sense. And then, uh, the last thing was this sense of in-group exclusivity. So collective nurses kind of perceived themselves as true fans and, you know, cast off certain other fans as kind of bandwagoners who who didn't stick through the team through thick and thin. So I think kind of the common thread and how I saw it with, with all kind of four of these themes, I guess, is, uh, you know, and it gets back to this whole idea of, of, of self-esteem, right? And you have your, your highly identified fans who, you know, they, they identify with the with the team and, and at the core of that is self-esteem. You know, collective narcissists kind of at the core of it is the insecure self-esteem. And so kind of what they're doing is co- conceiving of the team in a way to kind of prop up that insecure self-esteem by, you know, this underdog spirit and viewing the team as unique and this kind of uh, deified entity compared to others in the league. Things like that just kind of using it kind of to, to prop up that insecure self-esteem. And, and that's kind of what I see as the common thread kind of tying together 
all four of these different themes. That is really fascinating. Um, and I can see how that plays out. You know, like you said, when, when you went uh, and started studying this, you thought of people that you know that are like this. And, and I think I could see the same thing, <laughs> whether that's good or bad, I'm not sure. Um, now, just, just more broadly and particularly theoretically, what does this all mean? How did this advance our, our understanding? Yeah, so I think from a theoretical perspective, you think about it and, and it's, it, it shows us that, you know, we need to dig deeper, you know, when we're, when we're talking about research on highly identified sports fans. It's useful to certainly to understand, you know, highly identified fans and how they differ from those low on identification. But we need to understand differences even within that group of highly identified fans. Here we're seeing that we have a group of, of in this research, 30 highly identified fans. And for half of them, their fandom manifests completely differently than, than the other half, right? Yet they're all highly identified. So if you didn't have collective narcissism on your survey instrument or some other variable that might you know, capture similar differences within that group, you kind of be treating them as all the same and seeing them as, as similarities. So I think here, you know, the important thing is differences within the group, like recognizing the individual within the group and how even within a group of highly identified fans, you know, they're not all going to fan the same, right? There's going to be, it's, it's going to manifest differently depending on who we're talking to. And, and uh, I think not just for collective narcissism, but perhaps other variables that could enter the mix, you know, it's something that, that should, should serve as a kind of a, a guide moving forward in some ways. Not all fan the same. I like that. So it could be a title of your next one. Um, no, that, that sounds uh, really interesting. And, and of course, uh, it makes a lot of sense theoretically as well. Now, just for, from a practical perspective, based on this research and, and also your, your previous understanding, how would you advise sport team managers, people working with sport teams, and particularly those working with fandom? Yeah, so I think this is, this is somewhat of a trickier question because, you know, you, you think about you know, and I mentioned earlier, one of these things was one of the themes was in-group exclusivity and, and this idea of true fan versus bandwagon fan, right? And so you see certain, you know, sometimes fan uh, teams will market in a way where they're like the NBA teams had this thing, bandwagon cam when they were playing the Warriors, uh, Golden State Warriors a couple of years ago. Warriors were this team that were usually pretty mediocre and then rose to prominence all of a sudden. And of course, you know, fan base grew so anytime there was a warriors fan in a visiting arena they'd, they'd flash the camera on them and and it, it was this kind of little promotional thing bandwagon cam well what we're seeing here is that you know that's something that that could kind of tick off a collective narcissist right um and not this study but another study that i published on collective narcissism we found that collective narcissism was was predictive of uh fan aggression right whereas just fan identification was not so, you know, it, kind of the implications from that research are that kind of collective narcissism is what's dri driven fan aggression probably for decades. And we just didn't know because we never measured it. Right. Um, so putting the two together, you've got, you know, bandwagon cam giving the potential for, for potential fan aggression or violence at a sporting event, something of that nature. Right. Which is something you want to avoid. So it's kind of a slippery slope, like you're going to market the team in certain ways, whether that's calling attention to, to scrutiny. And we see this with hype videos all the time, you know, media clips of, of all the people who counted us out and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, things like the bandwagon cam, you know, these are, these are, you know, fun marketing tricks that are fun until, you know, you, you take off the wrong person maybe. Right. And, and collective narcissism could be the underlying factor there. So it's just kind of, you know, 
suggests, you know, be careful for, you know, teams, be careful fanning the flames of, of collective narcissism, perhaps. I think it also has implications potentially for segmentation, right? You know, you're, you're segmenting your fan base, you know, and, and certainly you can, you can segment it based on a matter of degree, you know, how identified as the fan, how passionate, how committed are they? But even within that, this, this kind of, like I was saying, even with regard to, to just the, the theoretical stuff, you know, there, there are going to be differences within that group, even if they're all highly passionate. Again, not all fans fan the same, so it could manifest much, much differently. So, you know, I think that's an implication for practice as well. Yeah, I can see how all of this works. And, and having worked at a, a football club, a soccer club myself, I wish I'd known this back then. Ben, a really fascinating research. And I, from, from what you've done here, this is just the tip of the iceberg. It sounds like you've got so many other areas you can go with this. Yeah, so like I mentioned, this, you know, this, is, this is my dissertation. So there, there were three studies kind of making up the dissertation and uh, I published two of them and, and working on another. And um, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's many directions that, that, that I could go moving forward. You know, I think after the dissertation, you know, and, and, and working on publishing some of these papers, you know, kind of burnt out on the topic to some degree. Um, so I've kind of tabled it in recent years and kind of pursued some other paths that were of interest to me. But definitely something that I plan on going back to and, and, and continue to pursue because I think I think it's important. I think there's a lot there and uh, that is worth looking at, you know, moving forward. I've got I've got other ideas kind of in the pipeline. So I have no doubt it's a, it's a fruitful field and hopefully it inspires some others to, to look at the, uh, a similar topic and a similar research. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. Head to the Sport Management Review website to check out all the latest research that's being published, including the articles discussed in this episode. Identified, but not identical. Exploring the influence of collective narcissism in team identification. That's it for this episode. But of course, there are many more you can listen to on your favorite podcast player. And if you could follow the podcast and give us a five-star rating, that'd be great too. Until next time, it's bye for now.